Welcome to the All People's Church Sunday podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more messages and resources, please visit allpeoples.com or download our free All People's Church app. All right, we have some happy people in the house today. Great day to be with the church. We just got back from, thank you, Stephen, from Guatemala uh, Saturday at 1 a.m., and happy to be with you this morning. It was an amazing, amazing time. We had this unprecedented favor. If you were with us in the spring, Joe Ewan, who's one of our primary prophetic voices from Scotland, came and said that he believed that God had opened up a season of favor for our movement, for this church, and that is certainly what it felt like as we had an invitation from the mayor of a city of San Jose Panula, and he was not only the mayor of the city of 65 to 70,000, but uh, the governmental leader over 20 of the surrounding towns, and so uh, a lot of authority, and we were invited to come down and present the gospel in public schools around the whole area, as well as in public places. And so the first day we found ourselves meeting in the government building. I, I expected more of a shantytown, and, and, and we came to a, a full-blown city, came to the city hall, which was a, a pretty large structure, end up around this large wooden uh, oak table, and the mayor's just saying, hey, what all do you need? He ended up paying for our transportation the whole time we were there. He gave us a chartered bus. Uh, you can see that picture of, this, uh, of our team in the bus. That's his right, uh, right-hand guy sitting next to me, Edgar. He had Edgar with us for the week. He paid for three city employees to be with us and to be translators. I mean, absolutely amazing. And then we had permission to go into these schools. And let me show you a, a picture of one of the most amazing ones. Um, this was a, a high school assembly, probably 800 students. And we, we'd start with our, our music. We did some really anointed songs like Sweet Home Alabama and uh, In the Jungle, The Lion Sleeps Tonight. You remember that? In the jungle. We did that. And uh, yours truly was the front man. And, uh, but then we'd, we'd turn it and, and move to a little more anointed dances. We danced to the Cupid Shuffle and uh, Hot Cheetos and Takis. Our kids were amazing. We did a gospel drama and, uh, and then would pre- present the gospel. And here, I mean, this was just staggering. There were two to 300 students. All the students standing around me, that's about one-third of the students that came down front to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior in a public school. Crazy! All the administration sitting there, the teachers are sitting there as we're just calling students to boldly stand up in front of all their peers if they wanted to give their life to Jesus. Probably one-third of the assembly stood up, come down, people are crying. We're telling them, hey, this isn't going to be easy, and different, different people are going to persecute you and challenge you, but the Bible says if you confess Christ, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father in heaven. And so these students are just standing, giving their lives to Jesus absolutely amazing. And then the city officials blocked off a street for us in the marketplace where we preached the gospel on the street. And 
We uh, had a, a word of knowledge about someone's eyes being healed. I have a, a businessman between 25 and 30 come up, and he explains to me that he, he can't read without his glasses. I show him a track to test it out, real large letters. He goes, no, I can't. He doesn't have glasses on. He goes, no, I can't see that without my glasses because I need for God to touch my eyes. So we pray for him, and soon he's reading the, the words, and he just starts crying. He's like, I can read it. So then I turn to, to medium-sized print. He goes, I can read that too. I turn to the tiniest print. He goes, I can read it. He's just crying and crying. I said, will you give a testimony on the streets? Will you give praise to God in front of your, uh, in front of your town? He goes, yes. He gets on the mic. He says, I couldn't see well at all. God just restored my sight. For the next hour, we had like an, an, an unending uh, flood of people coming and asking for prayer, for healing. And um, here's a picture of one of our kids praying all by himself for this woman who got healed of severe migraines, uh, people coming up uh, with arthritis pain going and them shaking their arms, uh, people with all kinds of foot problems. Um, my, my daughter, Hallie, got to lay hands on a woman's stomach. She said, Dad, the stomach is contorting all over the place. The person ends up saying, I'm totally healed. It was incredible seeing God just break out on the streets. And I came back with a word of my heart for you this morning because I want to talk about the power of families on mission. The power of families on mission. If you could show that picture for a moment. Our team consisted of five families who had gone on this trip together, our family, and then four other uh, families that are uh, in business. And God was using these families together. And you know, families on mission is so much more than just families going on a mission trip together. And I want to unpack that for you this morning because that's what the real church is all about. I decided to extend this series one more Sunday to unpack this powerful truth that I believe God wants us to highlight. You see, we spend a lot of time reading missionary biographies in my family, and we're really inspired by them. But one of the problems I see as I read about the men and women of old is oftentimes they left their children behind as they went out and did exploits for God. Sometimes they'd leave their children at home as they'd be gone for years. Oftentimes they'd send their kids off to, to boarding school. And many times the kids would resent their parents' calling and not follow in the footsteps of their parents. And I believe that God is calling a generation that walks holding married the purposes of God while nurturing their children. Because, you know, I've seen a flip side in the church today in our generation where parents are so concerned about coddling their children and making their children's lives comfortable that parents don't step in to a radical kingdom lifestyle. And so what's happening now is many kids are leaving the church on the flip side because they were just entertained and church was just about popcorn parties and amusement park rides. And I believe that God wants us to be a church that is fully into the kingdom and fully nurturing our families. And as we wed that together, I believe we're going to raise up a radical generation that transforms the world while discipling our kids. And if you're not a parent today, if you don't actually have a, a nuclear family with you, 
know that this message is for you too, for you singles, for you young people in this room. Most likely, statistics show that you will be married and you will have a family. For those of you that have already raised your family, we need you to grab hold of this and be the grandfathers and the grandmothers and the Lord to speak back to the families. And for those of you that feel called to be single, we affirm that calling. The Apostle Paul had that calling. Someone named Jesus had that calling. And so we affirm you in that, but we also know that the majority of people will be a part of a family, and God's heart is for families to to become a kingdom dream team. And so I want to unpack for you three theological points this morning and then several practical applications for how we can become this. So point number one is this, theological point number one, family is God's original plan for administrating his kingdom. Family is God's original plan. We see it all the way back in Genesis chapter one. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the gospel of Genesis, the good news of Genesis, and we're going to look at verse 26, 27, and 28. It says this, then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. First of all, marriage was God's plan. Man and woman created in his image. God brings man together. He says it's not good for man to be alone. He brings him his counterpart, he goes, whoa, man. They come together, and then God says, be fruitful and increase. Children are a blessing from the Lord. God wanted children on the earth. He brings his team, and then he says, you are going to have dominion. You are going to rule. You are going to administrate my kingdom. God's government over the earth is first and foremost through the family. Let me say that again because it might be a new idea for you. God's way of establishing his peace, his righteousness, and his favor through the earth is first and foremost through family. Now, there's so much brokenness in family. We understand why there's so much attack against family, because it is God's kingdom dream team. So God chose the family. And now, secondly, I want you to know this theological point number two God wants to bring whole families to salvation. God wants to bring whole families to salvation. What we often believe in America is just in this individual decision to follow Jesus, which is absolutely true. Each person must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Each person has to decide in their heart whether they'll serve God. But I love what Joshua says, as for me and my house, We will serve the Lord. I want you to look at this very impacting story from the book of Acts chapter 10. It's the story of Cornelius. He's the first Gentile, the first non-Jew that decides to follow Jesus in the New Testament. It says, then God said, let us, oh, I'm sorry, that was Genesis 1, wow. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, that sounds better, a centurion in what was known as the Italian, Italian regiment. He and all his family 
were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, in about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear and said, what is it, Lord? He asked the angel. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who's called Peter. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guest. The next day, Peter uh, started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went with them. We've skipped to verse 23. Now verse 24, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gifts of the Holy Spirit had poured out even on Gentiles. For they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Therefore, Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. You know what I love is when Cornelius is expecting them, in verse 23 it says that he calls together all his relatives and the whole family comes to know Jesus together. And that's what we've seen in this church many times, is one person would come to know the Lord, but the next, their spouse would come to the Lord, then their children would come to the Lord. Or you saw at our baptism event, one of the spa, uh, spontaneous baptisms was uh, Christian Curiel's mother. Christian came to the Lord with us years ago, and then he led his little brothers to the Lord, then his mother to the Lord, then his father to the Lord. Now there's a life group in their home, a Spanish-speaking life group in their home that's primarily focused on their large family. And I want to say that's a prototype of what God wants to do. He wants to start something with you, but then let it spread to his family. So let me just tell you, you have God on your side when you're believing for your family to come to know him. That's his desire, and that's what we believe for in this church. But it even goes past this. You know, God wants to use families to work together to extend his kingdom. Theological point number three. God wants to use whole families to advance his kingdom. You know, one of the travesties in our day and age is that someone will come to the Lord, but their kids don't follow suit. Uh, there's been statistics that up to 80% of the next generation of people who are following Christ are walking away from the church once they get to university. It's one of the reasons why we love to be on a university campus, why we've always targeted college, targeted college students, is we don't want to lose the next generation. And we've been blessed to see so many young people getting on fire for Jesus. But you know what? God wants for your faith to be multiplied into the next generations. And so I love this verse where Paul is talking to his protege. Paul is talking to a disciple, a pastor that he's raised up named Timothy, and he says this to Timothy, and, and it's no wonder that Timothy is such an anointed leader in the body of Christ, because listen to what he says. Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I'm persuaded, now lives in you also. There's three generations right there. There's a grandmother, Lois. There's a mother, Eunice. And then there's Timothy. Can I just tell you that that's God's heart? And that's his desire. And that's our prayer for you in this church. That as you seek God, it's not going to end with you. It's going to go to your children. It's going to go with your children's children. 
And it's going to go from generation to generation. It is possible. Some of us are in churches believing that, that our kids are going to walk away from the Lord. Do you know your kids don't have to rebel? I remember, remember get, getting a hold of this. I had rebelled as a, as a teenager, and I remember watching my sisters get on fire, and I, I just prayed and prayed, Lord, let my, my sisters not go through that same rebellion. My sisters never rebelled. They sought Jesus all their days once our family got on fire for the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that rebellion doesn't happen, but what I am saying is we don't have to believe that's normal for Christian kids. And oftentimes we believe, you know, well, a pastor's kids, well, they're going to be in trouble. The, the preacher's kids, they're the biggest hellions in the bunch. Can I just tell you, I know tons of pastors whose kids are seeking the Lord wholeheartedly. In our movement of churches, by God's grace, the majority of kids are running after God wholeheartedly. It's the exception for the ones that are really walking in rebellion. Now, let me give a side caveat. I, I, I have this like concern as I preach a message on families on mission that you're going to be evaluating like every single move that my family makes. And you know, if my kids like give each other an evil look, like yeah, I have boys, like for crying out loud, they'll hit each other. And if they do that, please do not just judge me and throw this all out the window because I promise what I'm preaching is from the Bible. Wow. My Bible's worn out right there. Uh, a worn out Bible usually belongs to someone whose life is not worn out. So here's the deal. Uh, my family's not perfect. You know, if you came into my home, we don't have, like, white doves landing, and, uh, you know, you know we're, we're not passing around anointing oil to, to drink for dinner, but uh, we, we, we have issues, and, and you'll hear my kids bickering, and every once in a while, um, uh, Steph loses her cool, and, <laughs> and I do too, more than her, by the way. Uh, but, but here is what I'm saying. What we've been blessed to have in our home is the presence of God. And through the years, believers and unbelievers alike have come in and said, I, I feel something different in this home. There's such a peace in this home. And I want to talk to you. I want to give you several practicals today to lay hold of so that you can be a family that stewards the presence of God and lives on mission together. By God's grace, our family has been able to bring many people to the Lord, not just in church settings on Sunday mornings. And that comes by a very deliberate focus on taking kingdom principles and applying them to our life. And so I want to unpack that for you today. Let me just show you one, one more interesting thing from Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21, because this is what happened in mine and Stephanie's life. We got on fire in our young adult days. We got set afire for, for Jesus. Acts 21 reads this way. It says, on the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. This is Luke talking about Paul's traveling apostolic group. So he says, we came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. So they go and visit an on-fire minister, but watch what happens next. It says, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now this is Acts chapter 21. 
If you remember the first time that it mentions Philip, it's in Acts chapter 6, where the church is exploding, and so they raise up seven guys to be deacons, and then in Acts chapter 8, we see Philip being this mighty evangelist being used by God. Now, what you might not know is Acts chapter 21 is actually 28 years later from Acts chapter 6. So here's the cool thing. Not only was Philip this on-fire evangelist, but almost 30 years later, you see that he got married, had kids, and now his girls are known for encouraging the church through the, the gift of prophecy. Isn't that cool? What God had done in Philip, 30 years later, he's raising up a new generation in his young, young women, his daughters, who are known for their prophetic gift. And can I also say that sometimes our kids have different gifts than us. Philip was an evangelist. His four daughters are, are uh, using a prophetic gift. So we want to develop our kids in their own giftings. So let's look at this. Let's, let's, let me give you some practical. So how do we create a family on mission? How do we become a family on mission? Practice number one. Practice number one, establishing a family altar. We do it by establishing a family altar. Now, I'm not talking about you need to go home and put some stones together and put a fire in your living room. What I'm talking about is a place of praise. That's what an altar is. You heard me talk about it several weeks ago on our first Sunday. We moved into, into San Diego State. As Abraham, wherever he was going, you'd see him building an altar and it would become a place of praise. And as he built that altar, God's presence would rest there. So much so that his, his grandson, Jacob, walks into it without knowing and is accosted by the presence of God. And so that's what we want to do. We want to create a place where God is worshipped in our homes. For us, the Herbert family, it's always been our dining room table. Because everyone has to eat. So I know I have my kids captive for at least a couple minutes. So we've always done it at the dining room table. And here's what scripture says in Deuteronomy 11. It says, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Listen to this. Teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit at home. This is that family altar. And when you walk along the road. And when you lie down. And when you get up. Here's my point. The home is the primary place for children to be instructed in the way of the Lord. The home is the primary place for children to be taught the way of the Lord. You know, we at church, we only have your children for an hour and a half on a Sunday. But your children live in your home seven days a week. The church is the primary place to teach your children. Now, you know, if you've ever tried to have family devotions... It's like herding cats, right? Um, yeah, it's just absolutely, it's like trying to get jello to stick on a wall, you know, right? Go, it goes down. If you, if you uh, ever want to lose your salvation, just try to have a long family devotion. <laughs> That's a joke, but um, so, some of my most angry moments have come. I'm like, am I even a Christian? Okay, I'm kind of venting on you right now. Um, but here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned. It's possible. It's possible. And that's why we don't have hour-long family devotions. Uh, let, me just, let me just tell you this. You can do it. Make it short. 
make it short. What we do is we sit down at breakfast just for a moment in the morning, and I'll teach the kids a scripture, or I'll read them a story. Oftentimes, our family devotions are five, minute long, five minutes long. If you make them short, you can do it every day. Now, for some of you guys that can do the, an hour-long one, more power to you. Just don't judge me. But that's, that's wonderful. But here's what I do. I'm taking the Word of God and trying to help the kids apply it to their life. So I hear a story about someone stealing at school, then we'll talk about a verse about stealing and how that applies to our life. Just try, I don't do the genealogies at Family Devotion, right? <laughs> uh, I, I don't do the high and lofty theology. I try to keep it where it's relevant to my kids at their age. Secondly, we pray. And when I say we pray, we're not having like an hour of intercession. I'll just have each person pray for one thing that we're believing for. And then lastly, here's what we do. We share stories of how God has answered prayer or what God is doing around us. This is what scripture says in Psalm 145. One generation commends your works to another. They tell your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell the power of your awesome works and I'll proclaim your great deeds. David was basically saying one generation tells of what God's done and then I proclaim the next generation, I start proclaiming your great deeds. You know, so much of the reason that we have seen the miraculous in our lives, me and Stephanie, our church, is because we heard of other people talking about it happening. And so we believed, oh, that's normal. So our kids need to hear about what God is doing in the earth. So that's our family devotional. And let me tell you, uh, at our family altar at night, our, our dining room table, one of the things we've done is we read books. Uh, so each night we'll read a couple pages of a book of someone who's seen God do something amazing. Most of the time they're missionaries, but other times there's just people that have been used powerfully by God because I'm just trying to get in their worldview a real God who's active and moving on earth. They get so much junk from the rest of the world. They see so many other secularized thinking that I'm trying to infuse their little minds and their little hearts with faith from an early age. We also tell jokes and have a lot of fun. Number two, number two for a practice of becoming a family on mission is modeling an authentic kingdom lifestyle. Modeling authentic. The word is authentic here. This is the key, key word. Here's what happens. Here's why a lot of children walk away from the Lord is because they see in their parents' duplicity, but then their parents don't own their mistakes, Right, So they see the mistakes in their parents, but their parents don't own it. And they see that their parents are, are one person on Sunday, but another person at home. You know, they, they act one way at church, but then they have a foul mouth, or they're, they're, they, their parents are worshiping the Lord on Sunday, but then they're watching trash on TV. And so what is the key? The key is being a person who's the same every day of the week. Right, We actually live... Uh, uh, a kingdom lifestyle. And what I'm not saying is you can't make mistakes, but what I am saying is that we realize that our children are always watching us. You know, and, and sometimes that's motivation enough for me to turn the channel, right? And, and not let junk play in my home 
on TV. And that's motivation enough oftentimes for when I want to say something critical or when someone cuts me off in the car, that's motivation enough to say, you know what, my little kids are watching and they're being discipled right now. They're watching how I'm living my life. But here's the deal. When I do make mistakes, one of the most powerful things we can do with our children is repent. Like, do you repent to your children? You know, because a lot of times kids have walked away from, from the Lord because they say, Dad, he does all this sin, but he, he acts self-righteous, but he gets on me when I make mistakes. So one of the most humble things you can do, one of the ways that you can be a, a most sincere Christ follower is you actually own your stuff. And when you make a mistake, you tell your kids, kids, I'm sorry, I sin. You know, I'm asking God for forgiveness. You please forgive me. I ask for forgiveness when I, when I lose my cool with my kids. And that endears them to me and it lets them know daddy understands he's a sinner saved by grace. Right? That he realizes he's not perfect. And what does that do? That creates a culture of grace in your home. Right? And, and then I, I live my kingdom lifestyle, not just on Sundays at church, not just when I'm standing up here, but my kids see when we're at a gas station, I'm kind to the person behind the counter. I ask them how I can pray for them, that I share with my waiter or waitress. I tell them I'm a Christian, that I want to pray for them, that I share the gospel with different people. You know, the funny thing is kids start doing what they see. I remember going up to the soccer field to go pick up Hudson. John Mark's about six years old. He looks and goes, Daddy, we need to go share with that person. We need to go share Jesus with that person. I go, no, in my heart. And I'm like, oh, I'm so tired. So I, I said, you know, what am I going to say? Well, of course, you go ahead and go, and I'm going to be right with you. <laughs> but, you know, that becomes normal for them. And when we live that kind of lifestyle, so by God's grace, my kids have seen that we, we don't just lead people to the Lord at a Sunday service or at a formal church event, but we do as we're going about our day, and their lives get transformed. Number three, number three, this is one I'm so passionate about, and one of the reasons we, I spent this past week on a mission trip in Guatemala is walking in community with other on-fire families. Walking in community with other on-fire families. You know, um, I'm just thinking about, about this. Um, there's been professional athletes who are the very best in their field, but they actually change to another team because they realize it takes a team to win a championship. Kevin Durant. <coughs> and I'm so glad he did, right? I'm so glad he saw the light and came to our team, the Golden State Warriors. Uh, and he was able to win a championship. Selah. <laughs> Think about that biblical truth for a second. You can be the most godly parent in the world but you need a team of families to raise your child to become all they're called to be. I, I'm a preacher. I can give my kids great sermons. Like I tell them great verses. I put stories to it. And then they go and hang out with one of our family friends and they get it. And I'm like, wow, that's so amazing that you're doing it. Well, Miss Kathleen told me. I'm like, wait, wait a second. Like I'm the preacher 
and you go and hang out with them for an hour and now you get it, you know, or, or wow, you know, you, you, were, you were praying for the sick. That was amazing. Well, my friend Allie did it. Allie's 13. I'm like, I, I've taught you that for years. You've heard me speak on that at conferences. Well, but Allie did it. Why? Because the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Or so one woman sharpens another. And we need other on-fire families to reinforce the values that we're believing to get in our children. Okay? You singles, you need on-fire friends. It, is, it matters what the community you're hanging out with is like. I meet people all the time. They're so discouraged. Well, my life is so discouraging. And I say, so tell me who you're hanging out with. And I'm like, wow, that's why it's so discouraging. You want to be encouraged? Hang out with encouraging people. Now, listen, you know me. I I love hanging out with people that don't know Jesus. I love spending time with people who are a mess. That's what Jesus did. So I'm not saying just cloister yourself and live in this little Christian bubble. Obviously, go and invest in the lost. Jesus was doing that, but do you notice he always has his disciples with him? Do you notice that? Like Jesus take his little... His, his fiery little squadron into the lost and dying world, right? And so that is why we believe so much in Christian community. And some people go, well, I, you know, I want Christian community, but it just doesn't happen for me, right? Can I, can I just tell you that Christian community is something we have to build, right? It's, it's like building a house. No house just happens, Right? Anytime you see a house, it's because someone desired to have that house. Any, any, you go out of here today, you look at a house, it's because someone desired to put a house there. So you think, well, you know, a Christian community, it just doesn't happen for me. No, it's because it actually takes a deliberate choice. I, I, I didn't grow up with a, a bunch of Christian community around me. Uh, and so when I got to college, that was such a desire on my heart. You know what I did? I prayed for godly friends every day. You want godly friends? Let me ask you, are you praying for it? Are you praying? If you don't feel like you have those godly brothers and sisters and those families surrounding you, I want to challenge you. Just start praying for it. Start praying for it every day. The Bible says that when we pray in accordance with God's will that we'll have what we ask for, I can tell you it's God's will for you to have Christian community. Not to just come and sit in a church service on a Sunday morning. This is great. You're getting instructed. We're worshiping together, but God wants you to have community that you actually walk with. These families that I went down to Guatemala, these are our close relationships in this church, and, and they actually help me. They build me up. They pray for me. They minister to me when I'm in need. I have a need for the fire in their hearts to get into me. And so I want to tell you, it's not just about coming to church on Sunday, and it's not just about being out there doing things. It's about just gathering in godly community, and that warms your heart, right? It, sometimes it's about doing nothing together, like just hanging out with people. Can I just tell you, for some of you type A people, and I understand because I can be that way, that's hard. You're like, oh, just hanging out with people? No, like we, if, if, I'm a, if I'm a Christian, I need to be doing something with my Christian friends. Can I tell you, just sometimes sitting around godly people, the fire in them starts firing you up. It reminds me of this um, 
time, I hadn't started dating Steph yet. We were just starting to, 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 to get to spend some time together. Like, I haven't even said, like, will you go out with me yet? But we had to go to this party, and so she said she'd pick me up. And she picks me up in her friend's luxury car. Like, her friend had this nice sob, right? So she borrowed it, and she picks me up in this, in this car, and I'm sitting in the seat, and all of a sudden, I'm like, this is so weird. I must really like her. Like, my bottom side is on fire right now. Like, it's hot, like, and I'm like, my bottom of my back is on fire. I've never had this, like, manifestation of love feeling. I'm, I'm looking at her going, like, I'm on fire. And she looks at me, she goes, are you a little hot? I'm so sorry, I've had the seat warmers on. And I, I'm like, oh, I wonder why my bottom was on fire. That's how community is. You can just be sitting there, and all of a sudden you're, just, you're getting more on fire because of the fire in the community. Does that illustration work? <laughs> um. You know, that, that, that is why I, I want to encourage you. Uh, be at this community month. Don't, don't just blow these times off. Uh, young adults, you have this, this great thing at Moniker Warehouse on Friday night. Go, drink all the LaCroix you can, right? Watch Titus's hair flow as he plays his guitar. That's what my hair is going to look like in heaven, by the way. And, um, but enjoy, enjoy the, the community and, and surround yourself. You become like the people you surround yourself with. Right? That's why I encourage you to jump into a life group so you actually develop those authentic, deep relationships. Come on, on next Wednesday to Playa Pacifica. Why? Because that's where you start building relationships, and if not for your sake, for your children's sake. Because there are going to be so many other forces trying to pull them in opposite directions. One of the greatest needs that children have is friends that are influencing them in a positive nature, running towards Jesus. And so jump into community wholeheartedly. I meet families. They're, they're discouraged with the direction that their families are going, but they're not putting their kids around godly families who in, it will influence them in the opposite direction. So jump in. Here we go. Lastly. Lastly. Number four. Take your family into missional experiences. Now all of life should be a missional experience, but we need these set-aside, focused times to sharpen us, to transform us, to give us an understanding of what God's doing. So let me just explain this, because sometimes people go, well, that's just not me. I'm not called to the nations. I'm called to the United States. Can I just say, so am I. Like my calling, what God spoke to me, is go to San Diego and plant a church. I'm called to San Diego, California, and I'm called to the United States of America. So why do I always go to the nations? Why was I in Guatemala last week? Why am I going to Thailand at 1 a.m. tonight? I need your prayers. Please pray. We got one more international trip. We're heading to Thailand tonight. Why, why do we do these things? It's because the Bible says, go into all nations and preach the gospel. The Bible says, make disciples of all nations. Who is that speaking to? It's speaking to everyone, every follower of Jesus. It just doesn't say how long to stay in those nations. 
But it says to go into all nations, so why do we always go? It's because the Bible says it. Right? My calling is to the United States, but I go to all nations. Why? Because that's the normal life of a believer. Right? That's what Jesus' heart is, is to take the gospel to all nations. And so we go on these missional experiences, and the amazing thing is the Bible says give and it will be given to you. The Bible says that he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. He says, I pray that you'd be active in sharing your faith so that you would know every good thing you have in Christ. The amazing thing is, as you go into these missional experiences, God starts impacting your life. So that's the reason why for me and for Stephanie, our lives were transformed on a mission trip. As you step out of your comfort zone and as you spend a season where you're just completely focused on Jesus, he moves in power. And that's why we take, you know, that's why we took almost half the church to Mexico in March. I want to encourage you, please, if you're a part of this church, jump in and go on that three-day trip with us. And sometimes people say, well, it's expensive. I don't have the money to do it. Number one, God will provide for you. The Bible says that he'll provide our every need according to his glorious riches. Can I, can I just tell you, so many times, I, we do these kind of mission trips all the time, and I don't have the money. You know what we've done at times? We've sold our cars to go. I remember I sold my car, and I, I had nothing, so I was walking to work, and Kendall gave me his electric scooter to borrow. <laughs> it went about 12 miles an hour. So I'm driving down the road, and then the steering column broke, so I drove it like this. It was like, Ugh. But you know what? It was important for me to take my family to the nations because God says it, and I know it'll change my kids' lives. I mean, that's what we're on earth for, right? To, to know God and to make him known. And so I've got to prioritize that, and the Bible says seek first the kingdom of God, and all the other things will be added to you. And what God's given back to me has been absolutely amazing. Here's, here's the deal. Uh, my kids have been transformed as I've taken them into these missional experiences. So once we had kids, we said, we're going to keep doing this. If this transformed our lives, we, we know it's going to transform our kids. So we'd bring our kids, and we'd strap them in a little baby Bjorn or a little stroller, you know, and we'd leave the night-night in the plaza after the outreach. And I'd be like 11 at night, I'm going into a plaza, like looking for Winnie the Pooh or something. You know, it's, it's ridiculous, all the, all the hassles of taking kids and holding them on your stomach through the night on a plane flight. But can I just tell you that it's transformed my kids. And so my, my daughter led her first person to the Lord on a mission trip. And my daughter got touched by the power of the Spirit where her body was shaking and she said, I feel like fire is going through my body as an eight-year-old on a mission trip. And my daughter got prophesied over by these powerful people about all these things that she'd do in her life and she's grabbed hold of that on a mission trip. right? And, and my daughter talked about having her hand on someone's arm as the bones were snapping back together and being healed on a mission trip. These are things I wouldn't trade for anything in my life. It's actually so funny. Uh, we're sitting around the table, the dinner table, and we have the, we bought these little cards that say family table questions. So, you know, some of them are really dumb, like what's your favorite ice cream or, you know, what, what kind of transformer would you be or whatever. But one of the questions was what's the what's the hardest part of your life and what's the best part of your life? And it was so funny, my kids were answering and one of them said, well, the hardest part is you won't give me a cell phone. <laughs> I was like, that's right. And, uh, but they were like, the best part is we, get, we go around the world doing mission trips. The best part of my life. So encouraged by that. 
Here's a picture. This is so, so cool. This is um, Hallie and Ariel praying for these two women that came up and they were grimacing with these uh, severe headaches. I don't know what they came from. They explained them as, they said, migraineas. And here are the girls laying hands on them. Both of these women walked away saying, my pain is completely gone. How cool is that for them to see that on the streets? And that, uh, another woman came up and we were able to lead her to the Lord and she had stomach problems. Hallie puts her hand on her stomach, starts praying, and she goes, Dad, her stomach is moving all around as we pray. The woman's stomach subsides, and she was so thankful. She's like, I feel completely better. Do you know what happens when kids see these kind of things? They don't question if God's real. Do you hear me? Like, there's so many kids that are going like, is my, you know, that's my parents' deal, but I just have a doubt that God's real. When kids have felt bones snap back into place, as they lay hands on them, they're not going like, huh, is God real? Like, I'm not sure about that. I need to read some more philosophy books. That's not their struggle. They're going to have other struggles. But just put your kids in those situations where God is moving and watch their faith arise. It's amazing. So people, you know, people say, well, uh, gosh, but is it, is it dangerous? Well, sure, it's dangerous, but the whole world is dangerous. Have you noticed that? I remember when we were first started taking uh, groups down to Tijuana, people came and were like, you're going to Tijuana? That's so dangerous down there. And I remember taking a big group down there. Everything was great, and of course, we are, we are uh, uh, very judicious and, and, and very careful, and we, we even have police escorts, and, and we're very, uh, very set on making sure the food and the water is right. But we went down, brought hundreds of people back, no problems. That week, on my street, in my middle-class suburb, there's a drive-by. The, the safest place for us to put our families is right in the center of the will of God. Right, that's the, that's the safest place. And tragedies and, and danger can, can happen anywhere. I'm not, I'm not talking about being irresponsible, but I'm saying that as we go, the Lord is with us. He says, I will be with you wherever you go. In the book of Joshua, chapter 1, he will be with us. God has a desire to, to use families to advance the kingdom. And I want to leave you with this quote from, from Andy Stanley. I thought this was so powerful. He says, your biggest contribution in life might not be something you do, but someone you raise. Your biggest contribution in life might not be something you do, but someone you raise. I believe this church is called to raise up families that will be kingdom dream teams. Let's stand up. This is what I want to do. If you just close your eyes for a moment. And let's just ask the Lord to speak to our hearts. And I want to take a moment to pray over different people who just say, you know what, that's, that's burning on my heart. I want to raise up my family to be a family on mission. I want to, I want to set out to create a family altar. I want to I want to be a, a person who by God's grace lives out a, 
authentic family lifestyle. I wanna, I wanna knit myself in community. Maybe you're here alone, maybe you're here with a spouse, maybe you're here with a, with a child, but if that's your desire before the Lord, I just wanna encourage you to raise your hand as just a sign of saying, yes, God, count me in. That's something I, I wanna do. And as you raise your hand, and if you're with your spouse, just link hands with them or put your arms around them. If you're with your kids, sitting with you, just grab their hand as well. And Father, I just want to pray for every person in this room that's saying, that's my desire. I don't want to just do it by myself. I want to lead. I want to be a part of a kingdom dream team. I want to take my family on mission. Lord, I bless my brothers and sisters right now, Lord, to know that you're coming and you're strengthening them and you're breathing your life upon them right now. And I pray that you give them right now the next step to speak the next step of what they need to do, Lord. The next step. And if I could just have my, my ministry team come forward, my life group leaders and interns, my training school students and training school graduates, Here's what I want to do. I want to pray for those today that say, you know what, I want to do that. I want to do that, but we need help. You might say, I want to do that, but I have fear. I, 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 I just sense that there's some people that are saying, I want, I long to have a family on mission, but I'm dealing with fear. I want you to just come down really quickly to get prayer. Some of you that are saying, hey, I, I, I want to lead my family like that, but I'm dealing with shame because of the ways I've blown it. Come down, have someone pray for you. Let's break off that shame and give you a fresh start, okay? Some people in this room, you just need to, to get prayer because you want Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You just come now. You tell one of these people, hey, I don't even, I don't even know if I have a real relationship with Jesus, but you come now. He died on the cross to forgive your sins. He rose from the dead to defeat the, the power of sin and death. He can... He can come in and wash your sins clean and give you a new life. You just come now if you need to give your life to Jesus. Just going to need some more people to come down, some more life group leaders. If, you, if you've been a life group leader, if you just come down to pray as well. If you've been through one of our training schools, if you'd come down. If you've been an intern, if you'd come down right now. really sense that God's dealing with fear right now. Really sense that there's some mothers in the room. There's some, there's some fear about what could happen to your kids. And you're saying, I don't want to be irresponsible. And God is just wanting to encourage you right now. Trust me with your children. I just see you uh, holding your children out proverbially in your hand and handing them to the Lord. He is their ultimate father. And as you step out, the greatest inheritance that you can give your kids is a life of faith. That's the greatest inheritance you can pass down is parents who lived a life of faith. Let's just sing this song one last time and you respond if you need to. There might be some, some people that just need to come up and get on their knees before the Lord and just surrender afresh. There might be some couples that just might need to come up and, and just pray together, surrendering their family and their life afresh to being on mission with God.